This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. What a joy it is this morning to uh, invite you to open your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Philippians. After weeks of anticipation, please open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. If you are here and you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, if you'll raise your hand, our ushers have a, a free copy they'll give to you. It's going to be nice for you to be able to follow along as we look at some verses from Philippians and also the book of Acts. So turn with me please first to the letter of Paul to the Philippians chapter 1. We'll look today and read the first two verses. Philippians chapter 1 verse 1. This is God's word. This is God's inspired word. It's inerrant. It's authoritative in our life. He has given us a great gift in his word. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's greeting here at the beginning of this letter is a simple greeting. But this doesn't mean it's a token greeting. I think you can recognize there's importance, real importance in these words. Meaning. It's a spirit-inspired Greeting, this is God's word. The Spirit doesn't inspire token. It's profound. It's intended for our good. We want to listen with faith. I think when we do, we're going to benefit from this simple greeting as we open up this letter to the Philippians. Note, first of all, that in this greeting, Paul refers to Christ three times. He talks about Servants of Christ, saints in Christ, and grace and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. For Paul, Christ is preeminent. He's our treasure. That's really what I hope we discover and see today in this message. Why, why did, this is the introductory message for this series, and whenever we do this, we like to try to Think about why we chose this book of the Bible for a series during this unique season for our church. What was the pastoral team thinking and hoping for as we 
decided to spend all the weeks ahead that we'll be in this letter? What were we thinking? Here's where we're going today in this first message. I want to share some themes from Philippians that drew us to the the book. I want us to think about the benefits that we're anticipating. I want to build expectation. And then I'm going to conclude by looking at the, the simple greeting, these first two verses. There are many reasons. One, though, I didn't anticipate, and we didn't really talk about it as a pastoral team, one, one theme in this letter that I didn't really anticipate being a, a reason to study this book. Not that it's not a good theme, but it wasn't what I was thinking. It wasn't what the team talked about when we thought about going to this letter. And that, that is the surpassing value of knowing Christ. It is a prominent theme in this letter. For Paul to live is Christ. And to die is gain <laughs> because of Christ. We were initially drawn to Philippians because of another theme, and that's joy. We were looking around at our culture, looking around our community. It just seems to be that joy is lacking and definitely true joy. People, people seem discouraged in our culture. They seem depressed. They're not happy. They're not content, especially content in Christ. And so joy was a theme. We, we talked about initially, we want to study this letter because of its emphasis on joy. But as I began to prepare this series, what, I, what jumped out to me was Paul's relationship with Christ, his love for Christ, his understanding of the surpassing value of fellowship with God in Christ, his desire that Christ be the treasure in this local church he was writing in the first century. I, I was challenged by his faith, by his passion. I, was cha I am challenged by the Philippians, the church. And I feel like this letter is going to be an invitation to us over the coming weeks to know him better and treasure him more. I'm excited about that. I think we're going to benefit. I think the Lord intends for us to benefit from Paul's unique love, his unique knowledge of Christ. I think the Lord is going to reveal that to us, increase our desire. So I want to build an anticipation for that. You've probably heard I had a bike wreck. And uh, I actually had this message ready August 28th. But then, in God's providence, I don't remember what happened. But I had a bike wreck. My first memory is of a doctor, very kind doctor, a believer, talking to me. And a nurse by side with a, a giant first aid kit. And then I remember my family coming and taking me to the emergency room. I had a concussion. I had two broken ribs, other issues. It was a bad wreck. The good news is I'm doing great. Not 100%, but I'm doing great. Thanks for your prayers. What, I bring this up because I love to talk about myself. And <laughs> old people always want to talk about their aches and pains. So that's what I like to do. 
But really, as I look back over these weeks, I've just been very aware the Lord has made His goodness aware to me in a special way. And it was almost exactly 44 years after He saved me, and I was just aware of His goodness. Not only in His providence did He have a doctor there when I, He found me unconscious, and when I came to, he, there's a doctor who's friends with a couple in our church, Michael and Rachel Feehan, and, and he was on the scene. He's providing medical care. Just happened to be a race there, uh, a, a running race. And so there was a nurse with a first aid kit. So I was like, I got a whole hospital here taking care of me. And... I have a wife, they, they had my phone, and she, she had that wonderful experience of getting a call from her husband's phone, but it's not her husband on the phone. But I have a wife who was with me every minute of the day afterwards. I even had three sons come to the hospital, all three of them on a Saturday. I remember thinking, I, I must be dying, you know? <laughs> I, this must be serious. If these boys are here, I'm in trouble. If I had texted them Saturday morning, I would have gotten no responses from any of them. But they're at the hospital. I'm dying. But they were all there. I have three sons and a daughter that love their dad. It was very clear. And I'm in a church that loves their pastor. I, I received calls, texts, cards, gifts, meals, it was very encouraging, and I, I'm, I was just aware, you know, that's, this is not the experience of every pastor. Maybe not even most pastors. This, the people in this congregation, thank you, by the way. I couldn't possibly write a thank you, uh, thank you note to all of you. I couldn't. I, there's not enough time left in my life. <laughs> thank you. People visited, people, they cared. It was clear you genuinely concerned. It was very meaningful to me. Now, I look back at all that, and you can't explain this without Christ and the gospel. If the Lord hadn't saved me 44 years prior to that, the last few weeks would have looked very different. <laughs> You've experienced this too. Just the grace of God at work in my life. Here's a bad bike wreck. I mean, this was a bad wreck. I can show you my busted helmet. And I'm deeply aware of how good God is. I just, it's amazing how his grace redeems things. I can only say he's good and I want to know him better and treasure him more. And I'm very excited about this letter to the Philippians. I want us to discover more of the surpassing value of knowing Christ in the coming weeks and months. This letter will do it. I think it's intended to do it. Philippians is going to help us not drift away from the Lord when so many people seem not only to be drifting from the Lord, but they want to deconstruct our faith. And I think Philippians is going to give us steel. No, we're, you're not going to deconstruct my faith. You're not going to take my treasure. Paul says, knowing Christ is better than life. That's the message of this letter. So, I believe the Lord is going to use it 
to do just that. Increase our love for Christ and our awareness of Him as the great, the great treasure of the kingdom. With that said, turn please to the hold your place in Philippians and turn please to Acts chapter 16. We want to begin this series with just we want to get to know this local church. So we're going to go to God in His providence has given us uh, uh, an account of how this church began. It's one of the first local churches in the history. It It is the first church on the continent of Europe. And I want us to know these Philippians and and understand their relationship that developed with the Apostle Paul who planted the church. And so we're going to read just this account, not going to make many comments, of, of the founding of the church in Philippi in the first century. And we're going to read a lot of verses. So... Hope you can follow along. Acts 16, beginning in verse 6, we'll read down through verse 34. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to, up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there. Macedonia is the Roman province where Philippi was. Standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia. Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I think I'd have been that discerning. Here's a guy, I have a vision. Yep, okay, let's go there. Verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, our, our, our city, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And we were going to the place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. And she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. I hate it when that happens. (laughs) And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, one of my favorite verses because then I can get greatly annoyed, you know, 
turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. They're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept their practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted, inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas, of course, were praying and singing hymns to God. That's what I always do when I get beaten with rods, don't you? And the prisoners were listening to them, I imagine. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, don't arm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in his house. They preached the gospel, and he took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. What a wonderful story. This church began when the Apostle Paul was led by the Spirit. Spirit saying, don't go there, go here. And with Silas, Timothy, and Luke, Paul sailed from Asia Minor and landed in Europe and changed the world. But success was costly, wasn't it? He, he wrote in 1 Thessalonians that he and Silas in Philippi suffered and were shamefully treated. They were beaten with rods. They suffered many blows. These magistrates would have an attendant that would walk beside them with, with wooden rods in bundles. And it was a symbol of their authority. They had the right to beat people with these rods. And Paul was beaten and it was shameful because he, he never received a fair trial. And it actually comes back and is a problem for the magistrates because he was a Roman citizen. But suffering like this wasn't an uncommon experience for Paul and his companions. 
on his missionary journeys. If you've read through Acts, you'll see this kind of thing. Again and again, he told the Corinthians he'd been bitten, uh, beaten with rods three times. Even when he went to Thessalonica, the next city in Macedonia, Luke records that wicked men of the rabble formed a mod and set the city in an uproar. He suffered repeatedly. My grandkids, cousins night the other day, were watching a show. They wanted to watch a show. I learned that they like this new show for Bear Grylls, the guy that goes out in the wilderness and survives. It's called You Versus Wild. His old one was Man Versus Wild. This one's You Versus Wild because it's interactive. And that means the grandkids or whoever's watching get to participate in his decisions. How to survive in the wilderness. You know, in this interactive series, you'll make key decisions to help Bear Grylls survive, thrive, and complete missions in the harshest environments on earth. The kids then are able to help him make key decisions. But it didn't seem to me like they were trying to help him survive. <laughs> it didn't seem to me like they were trying to help him complete his mission. It just seemed like the opposite. What, what the viewer's supposed to do, he's got these choices. They're supposed to think, okay, that's the best one. It's going to go well for you if you go that way, that path. But if you go that way, that's probably not good, so go this one. So you're supposed to choose the one that's going to keep him alive, keep him safe, keep him successful. You're supposed to help him make a smart decision. But from my grandkids' perspective, that would be no fun. So they weren't choosing the wise path. They, they were choosing the scary, the difficult one. Track the wolf into the cave. Really? <laughs> Jump from the cliff into the water. I, poor guy. They, they wanted toils and snares for Bear grills, And they would, they would make this decision and then, ah! <laughs> and so, when you follow Paul's missionary journeys through the book of Acts, it can kind of feel like it's cousin's night. And the grandkids are interactively, intentionally sending him into danger. Just for the fun of it. It's like that vision of the man in Macedonia. And that, he's, he's like the next night he's beaten with rods. I mean, Silas is like, maybe that vision was like the pizza we had. Because this doesn't seem like the Lord's will. We're in prison with wounds. It feels like the decision's always bad. It's always the most dangerous. It's not the smartest. Every turn, suffering and persecution. But through it all, it seems that this church in Philippi was always there. Or at least they would be if they could. They often were. They were like a family when you have a bike wreck. They're there for Paul. In, in Philippians 4.16, he says, Even in Thessalonica, the next town, you sent me help for my needs once and again. 
From the very beginning, they sacrificed for the Apostle Paul. Philippians 4.14, it was kind of you to share my trouble. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. They would send him financial gifts. They sent help. When he was planting churches and advancing the gospel throughout Europe, they sent him. They helped him. They cared for him. They paid attention. They never lost touch. This church was dear to him. And this church was important in God's redemptive plan. This is what I want us to hear. John Kitchen says this, The story of the church in Philippi teaches us this simple principle, before there is big, there is small. Big always follows small. Just about the only place small follows big is in the dictionary. The point is, it's easy to lose sight of how much we can accomplish as a local church. It's easy to lose a vision for the little efforts that you're making this morning. It's easy to lose a vision for the church. It's easy to despise small things, isn't it? So we have to fight to remember as we do gospel ministry in the local church, this point about this church and the mission that you're going to see in this letter. Before there is big, there is small. Ray Steadman says this, when the Apostle Paul and his small company crossed the Dardanelles, moving from Asia to Europe, they changed the whole course of Western civilization. Perhaps no single event since the cross of Jesus Christ has so affected the world as Paul's seemingly insignificant decision that we just read about to cross a narrow neck of water. If the Emperor Claudius, who occupied the throne in Rome at that time, had been asked to name the most significant event of his reign, I'm sure he would never have dreamed of suggesting, had he even known about it, that it was the occasion when an obscure little bald-headed Jew decided to leave Asia for Europe. The church in Philippi started with three people. This wealthy businesswoman, a demon-possessed slave girl, and a, a local jailer. And God changed the world through them. He changed their lives. A church is started in a city. And from that church, the gospel advanced all across Europe. Those three people changed. They're an integral part of the story of European history, of Western civilization. Jesus said this in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds. When it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. We, we aren't thinking biblically when we think our efforts and the, and the ministry of one local church is insignificant. We're not thinking bib biblically. Again, John, John Kitchen says, the greatness of the story lies not simply in what happened in Philippi, but of what happened from that city. The scriptures unfold their account 
and tell of a redeemed people who consistently and sacrificially supported Paul's continuing mission, a mission which spread the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the Mediterranean world, and in so doing, launched it into a trajectory that would gather in all of Europe. We hope that through our study of Philippians, we're going to be encouraged that we're part of God's purposes, part of his redemptive plan. We're serving to see the gospel advance. I hope we'll, we'll learn as we study this letter not to despise the day of small things. I hope our, our vision for gospel ministry as a local church will be encouraged, refreshed, renewed. It, it's the greatest of gifts to be a part of, of serving in a local church and, and contributing in some small way to his redemptive plan. Paul said in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We just read about the power of the gospel. And now we're thinking about what happened with that. I mean, this is the solution. We want to do a series on this letter so we can see what it's like, what gospel partnership is like, the power of the gospel. Gospel ministry in a local church. If there ever was a man that knew his mission, it was Jesus. Three times in the gospel story, he predicted he would suffer, he would die, he would rise again. This is why the Father sent the Son into the world to live the perfect life we could not live, to die the, the shameful death we deserve, to make us right with God, to make us a people, to put us together as a church, to give us life that never ends, eternal life. And our, our mission is bound up in Christ's mission. What, what he came to accomplish, we are eager to make known, to proclaim. We know Christ is preeminent. He is superior to all, and we want to tell the world. That's our mission. We're called to worship God. We're called to give him glory. We've been given a great commission by the Lord. We're called to be disciples and make disciples. We want to win people to Christ and build them up through the local church. We want to love one another. We want to be characterized by fellowship, true biblical fellowship, by, by relational warmth and hospitality, by accountability. We want to serve the body of Christ with our gifts, our abilities, our time, our resources. So we hope that our time in Philippians, this, this mission is just going to become more clear and we're going to be more passionate about it. It's a glorious mission. It seems insignificant. Just fight for the truth that it's God at work in and through your life. At some point, the church in Philippi sent Epaphroditus. We're going to read about him in this letter. To Rome, where Paul is imprisoned and he's written this letter from Rome. And they've sent Epaphroditus. Again, they're... They're helping him. He's in prison. They care about it. They're concerned about it. And they sent Epaphroditus with a gift to, to help Paul. 
But as he was traveling to Rome with his gift, Epaphroditus got sick. Folks back in Philippi heard about it. And it, it would take a month to travel from Philippi to Rome. And so there was no carrying bridge to, to keep up with your sick friend. And it was very, made it very difficult. And so part of the purpose of the letter is to send Epaphroditus back to the Philippians and send the letter back. And, and he, he, he couldn't wait to hear about the, this wonderful reunion and, and to see that their fears could be relieved. In Philippians 2, he says, I've thought it necessary to send to you, Paphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need, for he, he's been longing for you all. He's been distressed because you heard he was ill. So he's been distressed because <laughs> you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And I'm, more, I'm, I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice. It's going to be this great reunion at seeing him again. And that I may be less anxious. Why is he anxious? Well, he's, he's concerned about them. It's crazy how much these people love one another. It's like... Nobody's worried about themselves. They're all anxious about the other person. It's Chip and Dale. It's crazy. They're remarkable versus people who are anxious, but they're anxious about other people. And it's meant to be an example for us. This is what a local church should be like. And, and we're going to see the value they placed on their friendships. It was very important, their relationships. They were, they were a great blessing. It was a great sacrifice for Paul to send Epaphroditus because he loved him. It was a great sacrifice for the Philippians to send him to Paul. They're anxious when he's sick. In, in chapter 2, again in Philippians, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He was a rare friend. Timothy was a rare friend for the Apostle Paul. And Paul was known for his friends. It's proverbial. He was a man with, with friends, deep friendships, we find out in the New Testament. One of the reasons he's sending this letter to the Philippians to let them know he's sending Timothy to them. I'm going to send him to you. That was an expression of his love for this church. How highly he thought of them. There's a great deal to learn in this letter about relationships. And so we're looking forward to that, to encourage our relationships. Philippians reveals grace and wisdom for relationships. But we'll also note that there's seeds of division. In the church in Philippians 4, he says, I entreat Udiah and I entreat Syntithiki to agree in the Lord. These two women Paul calls out publicly <laughs> in a letter. That's how concerned he was. What pastor does that? The members have to guard against this enemy of division 
Because relationships are so valuable. So he calls out these two women in this letter. I I entreat them to agree in the Lord. That's how important unity is to them. It's a theme in this letter. This must have been just a very serious conflict. And he was concerned there were going to be sides people were going to take. And then it was going to divide the church. And so he thought he needed to address this. You're going to see this theme again and again in the letter to the Philippians. He's going to call them to unity. I I knew the Berlin Wall came down in November. I remember it of 1989. But I I wasn't aware, you may not be aware, that the Berlin Wall, the wall between East Berlin and West Berlin, was built in one day. Early on a Sunday morning, August 13th, 1961, over 60 years ago, East German had been crossing through Berlin to West Germany for years. In, in the summer of 1961, East Germany lost 3 million people. There, were, there was a 900-mile barbed wire fence between the two countries, but you could get from East, Berlin, from East Germany to West Germany through Berlin. So on, at 1 a.m. on August 13th, the streetlights were turned off and tens of thousands of soldiers moved in position and formed a circle around West Berlin and every inch of the 27-mile border through the city was blocked. The night before, they had cornucopia. They had a kid's party. They had ice cream. Had they known, they would have all left. Or a lot of them would have left and gone to West Germany, but it was a complete surprise. The next day, they woke up, loudspeakers. Borders closed, people panicked, but there was nothing they could do. By 1989, there were, there were, you remember, machine guns and mortars and soldiers and tripwires. It all happened in one night. It was a surprise. It divided the city like that. Total surprise. Cornucopia, ice cream, get up in the morning, division. Division in a church can be a surprise. I would say right now, we're unified. I'm not suspicious. This is not meant to say, I know you're trying to divide the church. We don't feel that at all. Every church is wise because it can be completely unexpected. These seeds of division. We want to study Philippians because it's a cautionary tale about division. And it it communicates how important it is. Our, Our... Former mayor and governor Bill Haslam's written a book about being a Christian and being involved in public service. He says the book is a call for leadership. He said, I'm writing this book because I'm deeply concerned about the direction of our country. Says he isn't writing the book. He explicitly says it to set the stage for another office. He says the entire nation seems to be at each other's throats. He quotes Isaiah 59, justice is turned back, righteousness stands far away. 
Truth has stumbled in the public squares. He's been in public office. He knows the limitations of government. He thinks it's wise what the psalmist says in Psalm 46. Don't put your trust in princes. But he, he, he laments the way politicians today are playing to the frustration and the outrage of the voters. He says there's no vaccine for the contemptuous polarization that grips us today. We live in a divided nation. The last nine presidential elections, he says, have been decided by single-digit margins. And he says not only as a nation are Americans divided, but they're also angry. And then he drew attention to a recent poll that showed one in six Americans have stopped talking to a family member or a close friend since the 2016 election. Now, no matter what you think about the book or our former governor or former mayor, we can all probably agree he's right about division in this country. So I hope you see how important Paul's call for unity is to a local church in our world. It, it's just important because it can, it can happen in a day. So we want to guard against division. And we're looking forward to studying this letter that focuses on unity. Now, let's close at lightning speed. This is going to be a Formula One race. Turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy. He, he begins with this simple greeting to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi. First word is Paul. It's his Roman name. He was a... Apostle to the Gentiles, called by God. So he went by Paul. His Jewish name was Saul. We know him mostly as Paul because he was called to the Gentiles. He's an apostle. He was converted. In the book of Acts, we read about the risen Christ appearing to him on the road to Damascus. In most of his letters in the New Testament, he says, I'm an apostle. He doesn't say that to the church in Philippi to the church in Thessalonica, because apparently no one questioned that he was an apostle. He had a very special relationship with these churches. Paul and Timothy. He's joined by Timothy. Timothy doesn't write the letter. He isn't an apostle. He's truly great in the kingdom of God. He's a humble young man. He's there to serve. He had been converted in Lystra when Paul was, was there preaching the gospel. We don't know if he was converted when Paul was preaching, but it's possible he came to Christ. We do know when Paul came back to Lystra that he had heard about this disciple named Timothy. And so in Acts, Luke records he'd heard about him and he wanted him to come with him. By the time he writes Philippians, they had been together for years. It logged many miles together. And he says, Paul and Timothy. I hope in the Lord, he says in Philippians 2, to send Timothy to you soon. He says they're servants of Christ, bond servants. It's not, not really strong enough. They're really slaves of Christ. All of us are called by God to be slaves of Christ. He's our master. He's our Lord. In verse 1, to all the saints... 
in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, with the pastors, with the deacons, to all the saints. J.B. Lightfoot says, there's a studied repetition of the word all in this letter. It is impossible not to connect this recurrence of the word with the strong and repeated exhortations to unity which the letter contains. The apostle seems to say, I make no difference between man and man or between party and party. My heart is open to all. My prayers, my thanksgivings, my hopes, my obligations extend to all. Grace to you, verse 2, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace may serve as a one-word summary of all Pauline theology. It both declares and reminds that all which comes to us from God in salvation is a free, unmerited gift. I want to commend to you next Sunday's Cornerstone You. It's going to be on the, the theology of Jerry Bridges, who wrote the best book I've ever read on grace called Transforming Grace. If you don't know about grace, you want to understand what grace is. We sing about it. We talk about it every Sunday. Don't miss Cornerstone You next week. I want to conclude just seeing that Paul refers in verse 2 to Jesus as the Lord Jesus Christ. That was intentional. In the early church, Christians proclaimed, Jesus is Lord. And it, it was significant to call Jesus Lord because it puts you at odds with your culture. In Rome, the main religion was emperor worship. And if you were patriotic, you were to say, Caesar is Lord. And if you didn't say Caesar is Lord, if you weren't patriotic, there were consequences. Paul begins this letter the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's important in that culture. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Christians confessed it. Paul, referring to Jesus as the Lord Jesus Christ, is intentional. It's significant. He is saying what he says throughout this letter Christ is preeminent. Christ is superior. We worship him and him alone. He is our treasure. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this letter. Thank you for your word, Father. We so need your word in this day and age. And I pray, Father, as a church that you would use Paul's letter to the Philippians to accomplish all those things we've talked about. Lord, I pray that we would know the surpassing value of Jesus Christ, of knowing him. I pray that we would have joy. We'd be content in Christ. I pray we'd be united in our mission, Lord. Bless this church through your word in the coming weeks, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.